welcome to Breakfast with the Boss, the podcast that discovers how our business leaders went from the classroom to the boardroom and what it means to be the boss. I'm Natalie Campbell, and this week it's the kitty cats who became fat cats. Joining us for breakfast are the co-founders of Candy Kittens, Ed Williams and Jamie Lang. Jamie studied theatre at Leeds University, but always had dreams of launching his own business. He shot to worldwide fame whilst appearing on the hit reality TV show Made in Chelsea. In 2012, he and Ed Williams joined forces to launch Candy Kittens, the gourmet suite that sought to make healthy confectionery sexy and fun. After selling their first sweets four and a half years ago, they have gone on to sell six million bags and are stocked in major retailers all over the UK. Jamie and Ed, thank you for having breakfast with me today. Thank you for having us. That was a great beginning. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed I wish, I wish every single time we sat down and had breakfast, someone would say that about us. <laughs> you have got a new bio for Twitter or something. Yeah, I like it. Every, that, 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 that comes mm, on. Yeah. Yeah. Here comes Jamie Lang. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It was a great opening. So tell me, what's a typical morning for you both? Does it start with, bre- with sweets for breakfast? I see there are none here right now. I know, apologies. Well, how, why, why don't you, we, you start, Ed? You go for it. Okay. Um, typical morning, get up around about sort of 6.30. Make it cooler, say like 4 a.m. Yeah, we 4 get up at 3 a.m. <laughs> um, no, get up, yeah, 6, 6.30, emails, um, if I'm feeling super energetic, maybe a uh, gym session before going to the office, mm-hmm. but then try and get to the office for sort of 8.30, 8 o'clock. Um, you have get a, my head down before everybody else arrives. You have a gin session at gym. Oh, you said gin session. We had gym. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> You yeah, guys yeah, had yeah. gin. Okay, yeah, yeah, gym. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just try and get a head start on the day, and, and I every day write a to do list without fail. Okay. So, um, my own to do list and some things that I've got to ask other people to do as well. So yeah. That's do you work into day. the weekend? Um, or are you quite disciplined with keeping work Monday to Friday? I actually work in the weekend on things that only I can do. Mm-hmm. So if it's catching up on that email that I haven't sent or reading something that I know I need to read. Um, but yeah, try and keep it in terms of what the team are there to do and, and help us with. Try and keep that Monday to Friday. Yeah. Do, do you know what's so funny? There's this whole like perception that everyone says when you become, you know, when you start your business or do something that you have to work every single hour of every single day. And you have to, and Ed and I always say, you have to work hard. Yeah. But there's also kind of like a balance in a sense as well. Because if you're, I, there are some people who dedicate every single thing to, to their work, which is impressive and everything like that. But yeah. um, to, it, to have that balance is so important as well. And, you know, in terms of my day, I would kind of say probably the same. You know, I now get up, I, I think training and gym early in the morning is so key, just mentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you once you once you train and get those endorphins running, you, you feel so great. Turns out that it does actually work. Everyone said, go and train, you feel great. I was like, yeah. sure. And then I started training. It's amazing. And now I do this thing called a cryo chamber. Have you seen this thing called a cryo chamber? Just cry in a chamber. <laughs> no, it's where you basically go in there and you you go in eighty minus eighty five degrees, and your whole body freezes. And supposedly, it, it makes you feel so much better. It works. Sounds like <laughs> hell. It, it's, it's not yeah, yeah, that yeah. fun, but it works. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't do that every morning. No, no, okay. I, I did it the, the other morning. I now <laughs> okay. so I'm a cryo chamberer. I think that's the, the term. Um, 
But yeah, that's the thing. I think that everyone always does say, oh God, you have your business, you're working all hours mm-hmm. and I'm working seven days a week, 20 hours a day, four hours sleep, you know. And I just think that's that's almost sort of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard work. It's a lot of work whenever you're running your own business, but there is definitely a balance. And so what's your routine? Um, you know, my routine is very different to Ed's. You know, I'm very lucky that Ed and I are business partners and um, Ed is the managing director and he does everything. Yeah. And... Um, I do uh, the things where, <clears throat> whether it's meeting different people where we have to meet um, uh, heads of retailers or we go and do talks or whatever we do, and we sort of have this amazing sort of balance. Um, but my routine is different because I have to do lots of filming and lots of different things as well, and so that is quite hard to juggle. And that's when it comes back to the most important thing is that you can have a great business idea, but if the team isn't good enough, then it doesn't work. Mm. We're super lucky because we have a great business idea, but we also have the most fantastic team. And Ed, having done that, is amazing. And I always say this, you know, it's you know, if you look at Formula One, right? You, the the driver is the one who is praised always, but the people who actually are the the one who should be praised are the people who are making the engines who are doing the cars who are fine tuning it mm-hmm. and I suppose would be the, the driver in a sense where from everyone's point of view they all go Jamie's the face and this and everything like that mm-hmm. however Ed is the one who is the engine underneath it all Ed is the one who makes it run okay so take me back how did you figure all of this stuff out what was life like growing up as a kid <laughs> did you know you were going to be entrepreneurs when you were running around the house at you know 10, 11, 12 I don't or- think I knew that word and I don't think many people did really. It's become such a buzzword, hasn't it, now in, in recent years. But um, probably always wanted to work for myself, mm-hmm. always wanted to sell something, make something, and and I guess interested in the idea of making money for yourself, definitely. Yeah. And you'll be, but Ed's dad was also an entrepreneur. He, your, your dad yeah. was, you know, worked for himself and things like that. Yeah, that was always around me. I'm, I'm a fit, my retail, kind of different retail businesses in my family and my uncles and everything else. And... Yeah, I was always surrounded by people that were doing different things and trying new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it, it was off. just naturally rubbed off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think I think I'm the same. Mine was, um, at the beginning, it was interesting. Mine was more about making money. Okay. So I, when I was growing up, I wanted to buy the newest hi-fi, I remember. I wanted to buy this hi-fi. Mum said, well, we can't buy it. It's, it was £200. And so I needed to find a way of buying this hi-fi. And so, firstly, I would pick daffodils. Um, or we had this we had this country house and I used to walk up and down the drive and pick off the dead daffodils I'd get 10p a daffodil that I brought home <laughs> one of the dead ones um, and then I actually sold rugby shirts at my school um, mm-hmm. to, to the leavers you know when leavers wear those tops saying leavers on the back yeah. I sold rugby tops to them and I made money from that and then when I was at my um, sort of uh, what I call sort of big school from the ages of 14 to 18 I sold Alcohol and cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Very naughty. Yeah, Hugely profitable. Very, yeah. Hugely yeah. profitable. I used to sell that from my tuck box <laughs> from my room, and then I got caught. But I mean, so I, I think like the same as that. I didn't know what that term was. I didn't yeah. know what an entrepreneur was. But I think I was always in that mindset. And Ed and I both believe if you believe if you want to make yourself a success, do it yourself. Don't get others to do it. You know, don't do it for someone else. Always do it yourself. Both of you come from entrepreneurial families. So Jamie, your great-grandfather, Alexander Grant, founded McVitie's, the Digestive Biscuit. Um, So there's inspiration there. Ed, you were saying that, you know, your dad, your uncle's entrepreneurial. Do you think it's, it's really important to see people building businesses to know what to do? Or do you think you can wake up one day and go on a journey of discovering how to be an entrepreneur? Absolutely. I think it it helps and it's kind of, 
in our personal circumstances, that was probably something that did influence us. But mm -hmm. it, it, you don't have to have that. It's not a prerequisite for becoming successful in business. Um, I think anybody can do it. It's just having their mindset and willingness to succeed, really. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think there's an interesting thing where I think everyone has a superpower. It's just about finding out what your superpower is. And when you find that out, you have to sort of become tunnel vision at it. So find out what you're good at and then use that. But anyone can become an entrepreneur. And that's the best thing. Ed and I are such activists in making people and pushing people towards starting their business. Because we live in this world now where we feel, because of universities and exams and all these kind of things, we feel like we have to lead a certain life. Mm -hmm. And we have to do this to get this job because we're going to be this and this and this. But that's not the case the most rewarding thing in the entire world is becoming an entrepreneur and actually starting your own business um and it, you know it, not only that is is that the we always say the same thing but the prospect of failure is what makes it makes it exciting the fact that you are able to fail you know that's the whole point of it you know if it was so easy every other person would do yeah. it but you learn so much canikins could fail tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have no idea. Suddenly, uh, the we sweet... We hope not, obviously. Yeah, we, like, yeah. Uh, we hope not, yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> so, so, you know, sugar tax could go through the roof. Yeah. You know, Brexit could do so. We have no idea, but suddenly something bad can happen. But the the knowledge that we've learned from starting a business is priceless. Mm. And you kind of learn on your feet. When you get taught to swim, you kind of put in a pool with armbands on and you swim. You know, that's the same as being an entrepreneur. You, you learn it on your feet. And it is the most exciting thing ever. And I always get this story of how... I was going to kiss this girl on the rocks when I was about 15, 16 years old. And it was like four in the morning. We were on the rocks in Croatia and I never kissed her. And to this day, I regret it. She's actually getting married <laughs> now. And I love this girl. And it's the same in business. If we had never, ever gone to start a candy kittens all those years ago and Ed and I had never met and we had never done these kind of things, we, I would hugely regret it because it's always a dream. So, so many people out there have a dream, but they go, well, I don't think I can do that. Or they have self-doubt. Don't have self-doubt. Go out and just go and do it. So let's talk candy kittens. The sweet I am not eating for breakfast right now, uh, but will be because My I've fault. been promised a, a, a delivery. Yeah. Um, how did it start? How did you guys meet and how have you managed to go from an idea in 2012 to selling six million packets of sweets? Um, shall I take this one? You go for it, man. So when I graduated from university, I had a, my own branding and marketing business, um, working for sort of everybody from a local pizza shop through to Bosch Power Tools. It was kind of a fun time. And a mutual friend of ours introduced us. Mm -hmm. um, Jamie had this idea to start something called Candy Kittens. And initially I was just there to help kind of build the brand and, and really met Jamie as kind of a potential client. Um, I think you charged me for the first thing. <laughs> yeah, I think probably it, did. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. You Before I turned you. up to the first meeting, he had an invoice. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. Um, and <laughs> we, Jamie's pitch to me was that he wanted to have the coolest, sexiest sweet shop in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and we you know, had quite a long conversation about this and went back and forth. But essentially, I said, okay, if you're going to have that shop, what sweets do you sell? Because there aren't any cool sweets. And I think yeah. that Jamie had perhaps unintentionally unearthed a really big niche and a, a massive opportunity so if you look at the aisle of a that's the confectionery aisle of a supermarket on the chocolate side there's a chocolate product for absolutely everybody from mm -hmm. a bar of snickers through to a champagne truffles for the queen yeah there's something for everybody there and and in sweets there are sweets for young children mm -hmm. poor packaging covered in cartoons pretty rubbish ingredients mm -hmm. and then a tin of sweets that your grandma has in the front of her car mm -hmm. um and really nothing in between. So that's what we set out to do, was make sweets cool, make them sexy, and make them relevant to modern 
consumers. Yeah, I think that. And from my sort of side, what happened was I was at Leeds University and I was studying theatre and performance. Yeah. And I was doing contemporary dance. And I just, because I didn't realise what my class was. I mean, I just, I arrived <laughs> at university having sort of blagged my way in. And... Um, didn't turn up for the first two weeks because it was Freshers' Week. It didn't turn up to the third week because I think I was hung over for the third week having done <laughs> Freshers' Week. Suddenly arrived and I was in contemporary dance. I was like, this is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> but stuck it out, did it. And I was in a class and I honestly thought to myself, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't mm. want to do something that I don't enjoy. Um, and so I thought to this girl who actually still knows today, said, I'm going to do the sweet company because I love sweets. Mm. And she said, well, what are you going to call it? I said, I'm going to call it Candy Kittens. And that was literally the beginning of it. Um, and I also think that, you know, Ed and I always, we got told this thing, which is super interesting, is that you should never follow logic. Because if you follow logic, you end up in the same place as everybody else. Yeah. And with Candy Kittens, that's what we always did. We went against the grain. We went against what everyone else had already done. Because you either, either want to be different to the market or be first to the market. And what we created was a new category without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important. Something like, um, who's out there who's doing it now? Uh, 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 sips, uh, Seedlip. Seedlip mm-hmm. is amazing, you yeah. know, the, a non-alcoholic drink, right? Yeah. They are brand new to the market, um, and they're doing something completely different. With Candykins, we invented gourmet gummy, uh, gummy candy. Mm-hmm. We, no one had done that before. If you Google that now, we're the first 10 results that come up. And it's healthy and vegan. It's healthy, it's vegan, it's made with coconut water and real fruit juices. They may, uh, we could bore you for hours. But most sweets are made with apple, ju- apple juice and orange juice. They say real fruit juice, and there's a little percent, and that's the, the juices because it's less expensive. Yeah. Our sweets are made from the real fruit juices. So if it's got strawberry in it, it has real strawberry. If it's got watermelon, it's got real watermelon. And that was really important for us. We could have chucked any sweets into any bag and tried to sell it. And loads of people have done that. Anna Kornikova, prime mm-hmm. example. She had a thing called, probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. Annie, no, Anna, no, 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 Maria, oh, Shara- Maria Sharapova. Had, yeah, yeah, Maria <laughs> Sharapova had sugar pova okay. that she brought out. And what she did, she made a packaging and just put sweets into it. And we haven't seen those sweets around anymore mm-hmm. and she's one of the biggest tennis stars in the world yeah we wanted to make the perfect sweep we also wanted to make it different we want to make the packaging good so it took us 18 months to develop anything mm-hmm. so the first time when i started talking about the idea of candy kittens it was pretty much a ghost mm-hmm. we had nothing at all we had this brand but we had no sweets and that's how it begun literally from then so i think it's really important actually for people to know that because everything feels like an overnight success Mm -hmm. but actually 18 months of product development to refine to test to figure out what sexy and fun and relevant means when you're building a a sweet company so where are things today you're stocked (coughs) in retailers all over the uk what's next what should people be looking out for yeah absolutely there's definitely no overnight success stories with us we we We've been going now, we've just entered our sixth year, which is really exciting. Um, and it kind of feels like the sixth week. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we have recently kind of totally redesigned the, the product. So mm-hmm. everything is now gelatin free, which means that it's vegan, vegetarian. Yeah. Um, you know, huge growing sector in the market. Mm. Um, and actually something that we thought was just important. If you, if you know what goes into that gelatin product, it's not very nice. And mm-hmm. if we can take something out that's not nice, then we will. Um, but does it still have the chew? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's really, 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 really okay. good. You have to take my word for it, <laughs> I promise. Um, but it's, uh, next is about going bigger and better, really. So yep. we, we're now stocked in all major stores in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you know, last year we trebled our distribution. We'll do that again this year. Mm-hmm. And really then it's about setting our sights on further afield. How do we, once we've conquered the UK, um, which we've probably still got quite a long way to go, but once we've done that, how do we go out into other markets and what and take our kind of now very British product across the world? 
And what's so funny is that a lot of uh, people don't realize that being a startup is actually a huge advantage, especially if you're in a market, something like a sweet market, which is kind of a saturated place, because we have the ability to change and adapt so quickly. Mm -hmm. So big companies like if you look at Maynard's or Roundtree's or whatever, or Haribo, they can't suddenly go, right, we want to change all vegan. Mm -hmm. It's impossible because that's too big. As a startup, we can suddenly go, right, we want to go vegan because we want to do this and we can change it all straight away. And that's so important for an entrepreneur and, and who has a startup to realize that they can change and adapt like that. Mm. It's a, the biggest advantage to have. Do you, so thinking about advantages, you're obviously on Made in Chelsea, mm-hmm. which has helped promote the brand. For people listening to this thinking, I don't have a, an automatic platform, what can they do? What tips have you also learned that helps people propel a brand into the mainstream? So Seedlip. Yeah. Didn't, you know, never heard of it. Now it stocks everywhere. So there must be things, tools of the trade that help people get a brand in, into the right stores, Absolutely. into the right I think, I think it starts, I mean, don't get me wrong, Made in Chelsea and Jamie's personal profile mm-hmm. have provided, you know, an unbelievable platform for us to help launch the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can never deny that. However, as Jamie touched on a moment ago, if the product didn't stack up in the background, then that would have, mm-hmm. you know, just flopped yeah. as quickly as it started. So... I think first and foremost, it starts with a brilliant product, mm-hmm. um, but that really is just the kind of foundation of everything. Uh, there's lots of things. I think that getting most people you to try it as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, we when we started, we uh, took 18 months to develop the suites. So we had no suites for 18 months, but we did about 30 pop-up shops around the UK. Mm-hmm. So relatively low budget, we went out and all of those pop-ups were actually individually profitable. So we yeah. went out and sold things, but we had candy kitten sweet shops with no sweets. So we were selling <laughs> t-shirts that said candy kittens on them and pencil cases and anything we could put a logo on. Yeah. And people kind of came in and thought it was completely bonkers. Yeah. But actually that's what funded the, the development of the product and kept things going. And every single person that came in and said, where are the sweets? We said, oh, they're coming next week, they're coming next week. And it generated this hype and, and yeah. sort of anticipation. Um, so I think there's lots of things. I mean, you know, sampling your product at markets and your local town or your local city, mm-hmm. um, friends, talking. I think the biggest thing you can do is talk. Mm-hmm. Um, people in Britain are probably quite scared of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to the States, everybody tells you that they're going to be the, you know, this yeah. time next year, I'm going to be a millionaire. That is, the you know, such a key part of it. But Jamie, is, is your personal brand sometimes a double-edged sword? Because it, there's so much expectation sure. that comes with things. Or you get people coming to try sweets and they're, they're not really invested <laughs> in the sweets because they're actually just coming to stand in, you know, in coming the glare. Sure. Exactly. Um, I think I think it's a tricky one. Um you know, if we go back to sort of the Made in Chelsea aspect, it was a huge risk mm. um, at the very beginning because, you know, a lot of people don't like the idea of, uh, you know, we were perceived as kids who sit on their asses, don't do anything, drink champagne, drive fast cars and live with their parents' money. It's not a good look, yeah. especially <laughs> in the sort of current climate. It's yeah. really not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's there's an amazing quote from Churchill who says, uh, a man stumbles across the truth, sometimes picks himself up, walks around it and carries on. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Sometimes you're, you're faced with opportunities and you don't realise they're opportunities. I saw Made in Chelsea as a massive opportunity to be a marketing tool for candy kittens. Mm. It was a huge risk, but I took it. Mm. And the, the risk paid off. But we did it in such a way, and as Ed said, it was important to kind of have the good product at the same time. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that a lot of people will come to the shop and come to the thing and come see me. But when they try the sweet, they go... It's actually really good. Yeah. And a lot of people who don't eat candy kittens but know about it go, God, are these good? And you go, well, try them. They try them. It's great. And that goes back to important how, how good the product is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're the queen of England. You know, if, if you put something into a retailer, they don't care anything. All they care about is the longevity of what the brand's going to do. Mm-hmm. 
I my brand, my own personal brand could dry up tomorrow, but hopefully the sweet will just continue on just because of how good it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is sometimes tricky to juggle everything, but it's also important to to know what the brand is. I think Candy Kins is now a standalone brand, mm-hmm. which is very important. Um, and we've always been completely conscious of of my own personal brand and what Candy Kittens is. Mm-hmm. And we've always made a clear sort of definition between the two. So let's talk wins but also failures or potential failures. <laughs> what things have you started, tried that haven't worked? Oh, my chocolate gummy sweet. <laughs> okay. Jamie's obsessed with mm, this idea. Okay. Yeah. I'm obsessed with this idea that I want to, um, I want to make a gummy sweet covered in chocolate. Right. And I, and I try to do it for Ed once and I put, I melted chocolate in a the microwave then covered it over a gummy sweet, gave it to him and he did not like it. Yeah, as you're and almost them, broke the microwave how, in the process. Yeah, yeah. How, how you can have chocolate on a gummy sweet and still maintain the gumminess. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's, it would work. I guarantee you it would work. <laughs> it's like doing covered, uh, chocolate covered popcorn. I mean, it would work. Okay. It's just, Ed is a stickler for not having it. <laughs> I'm um, so boring. Yeah, but I think... Do you know what the most, this is the thing, we have gone throughout our six years, ups and downs. And mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to be honest, I think we, we should be. You know, we've had a day where we sat in a room together and we had to come up with £30,000 in one day, otherwise the business would go bust. Right. And we then had to go to friends and family and say, can we borrow a grand here, two grand here? Mm-hmm. And we've just learned, you know, that, that way. We, we started with literally nothing and just built it up slowly. But so in this, this perception that, oh, he comes from McVitie's, or oh, he's this, and he has loads of money. We had nothing. Mm-hmm. We had no help at all. At all. We both told our parents that we're setting up a sweet company. Ed said, I'm setting up with that blonde bloke from Maine Chelsea. His dad probably went, who the hell is that? <laughs> and I said, I've got this guy who's just come out of Loughborough. And everyone's like, well, what are you talking about? You're never going to do it. Yeah. Um, but I would say our biggest failure is probably our money management at the beginning. I think that was... Yeah, I think it's probably quite normal. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I'd imagine nine out of ten business owners would say that cash is one of the biggest risks. Cash flow, yeah. And it's oh God, it's a nightmare. It's the cliche, Absolutely. but that yeah. is still to today. Yeah. I mean, the problems are different now. In the beginning, it was how do we find some money to make the sweets, mm-hmm. and now it's okay. We've sold lots of sweets. Mm-hmm. How do we find some money to pay for the sales? Mm-hmm. Because actually, every time we now get an order, you know, we're going off and signing these really exciting deals, and then you come back thinking. Christ, how are we going to pay? You've got for that? to finance. Yeah, the, because the, the because to the, get the it to, to initially it was about trying to make something, and now yeah. it's about how you sell more of it. So yeah, there's different different stresses and different pressures at every stage, I suppose. Yeah, mm. but also I think, sorry, I'm eating a mango, <laughs> which is delicious. Um, but also it, it, it's the, I think the hard one was for for especially Ed was to understand how retailers work. I mean, it's a, it's a beast to understand all that kind of concept mm. of how you have to do it, what you have to do. And when Ed and I used to go into business meetings at the beginning, we would just wing it. We This goes back to the beginning of how you understand and how you learn. Yeah. You just learn on your feet. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing that you, Ed, never, and you always, sorry to speak for you, but you always say, you never thought about that you were going to be running a team. You yeah. never thought that you were going to be managing director, and you just had to learn in order how to manage people. Yeah, yeah none of that was the plan. We've made it up every single stage. We've made it up as you go along. But I think it's reassuring at some point you kind of realise that everybody's making it up and everybody's doing the same. So nobody really knows what they're talking about. You've just got to bluff it. And who <laughs> can bluff it the best? Yeah, the nature of the beast, right? Make it till you make it. Exactly. <laughs> so this podcast works in partnership with Speakers for Schools, a brilliant charity that offers state school children free talks from inspiring leaders if a young student was sitting on the fence about setting up their own company what would you tell them to do oh i would 
I would probably say I'll probably get back to one of my quotes. I would probably say um I'd probably say two things. Uh don't follow logic, go mm. and do something completely different. If you want to set up trainers and do a trainer brand or whatever you want to do, look at how they're making fridges. You know, just mm-hmm. look just look at something completely different. And I would also say that Business is paid in two currencies, cash and experience. Mm. Take the experience first because the cash will come later. Do something because you love it. Do something because you want to experience. Don't do it because you want to make money because if you want to make money, you'll probably fail. Mm-hmm. It's not about making money. At the end of the day, if you love it and you have a good business and all those kind of things and you experience everything, you'll probably make cash at the end of it. But at the beginning, you're going to be broke. <laughs> and just remember that. There's a T-shirt there. Yeah, you're yeah. going to be broke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think definitely... Don't think about the end mm-hmm. goal because, as Jamie says, you know, people too often think, I'm going to do this and I'm going to drive a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it's the that hard work and commitment in between. And I think the most important thing I'd say is to dream big. Mm. We didn't set out to sell our sweets to a local corner shop. It was all about knocking Haribo off the shelf at Tesco. And, and you know, we still haven't quite done that yet, but we're, we're always aiming way above the mark. Um, and I think in a weird way that allows you to kind of punch above your weight. And I just, and also I think the key thing is don't listen to other people. Honestly, <laughs> I just don't, every single person out there, who, if you tell them about your brand and, and where your brand will probably talk about it wherever you go, as Ed said, but people will want to say their part, do it this way and do it that way and I think you should do this and they'll come on. Don't listen to people, take on board advice, but don't listen to what people say because most of the time they have no idea. And what you think is right is normally the right way to do it. So just follow your own gut and go for it. And as Ed said, dream big. If you want to set up a car, go for the best car in the world. Dream as big as you possibly can. Sage advice there. And so this question we ask all of our guests, if you could have one person from history join your board, who would they be and why? Tough one. Um, With Cardiff City's recent promotion, I'd say Neil Warnock, but that's tempting. But actually... (laughs) Is this football? Yeah, this is football. However, uh, great, great, great people manager. However, I think that um, probably James Dyson. Um, So... Studying industrial design at university, probably inspired by him. He's the greatest industrial designer that we've seen in the UK, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, reading something the other day. He's actually still owns 100% of his company. Yes. I mean, how incredible is that to have a, a, a business of that size? It's so rare. And his grit and determination designed countless different products that kind of nearly made it before he decided to get into vacuum cleaners. And then fundamentally turned something quite boring into the must-have sexy gadget for everybody's house yeah. you know I, I was yeah. so excited when I bought my first Dyson <laughs> I felt like I'd really made it and that that is kind of it's a vacuum cleaner but why you know that is incredible and such a creative thinker but really really smart guy. that's I, I like that I probably who would I pick I pick leadership wise Shackleton I just think Shackleton is I as a leader he's an adventurer and he does I mean he's amazing Shackleton but the other person who actually Ed told me to watch and I think he's just a marketing genius is uh, Jimmy Iovine. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, unbelievable, yeah. just the way his brain thinks. And and the way that he has gone about doing things is so different to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And his whole process from music to selling Beats headphones, which yeah. he did with Dr. Dre. There's an amazing thing on Netflix called The Defiant Ones. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great? Yeah, really good. It's so sick, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's just uh, his story and the way he is and the way he behaves and how his work ethic is just, I would probably say someone like him. 
I think two really good choices there. Well, that's, Strong board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God, it's yeah. a good board, isn't it? <laughs> what a weird mix. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much, Jamie and Ed. Thank you. Thank guys. you very much. Thank you for having Thank you for listening to Breakfast with the Boss. It was recorded at Fleet Street Studio with Vox Media Limited. For links to all our other episodes, follow us on Twitter at Breakfast with the Boss, or if you hit subscribe, you'll never miss an episode again. Until next time, goodbye.